It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Uh, You can listen to this one twice because we're not doing one next week because it's Thanksgiving and uh, we don't want to. So simple as that. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. Blake Topmeyer on the phone covers the Tennessee Volunteers for the Knoxville News Sentinel about to uh, make his triumphant return to Columbia. And Blake, the important question is Friday happy hour on the News Sentinel expense account or do I have to bring a credit card? Well, yeah, we're good for a while on the new Sentinel <laughs> expense account. There is kind of a limit that eventually kicks in. Okay. So, uh, yeah, get get there early while we're we're still within the good graces. Okay, sounds good. I will see you at eleven thirty on Friday morning, then, and <laughs> okay. um, we might be ready to go by kickoff. But no, so we just did our preview and, uh, podcast, and we were talking about. I mean, six weeks ago, if you had said Missouri would be favored by five points and nobody could figure out why Missouri was favored by five points and there's a coach in this game who might be coaching for his job, we all would have assumed that everybody thought Missouri should have been favored by more and Jeremy Pruitt's the guy coaching for his job. So, I mean, what did he do in the last six weeks? Well, I think a lot of guys that were underachieving – early in the season are, are simply playing better now. And you look at Tennessee's resurgence, if you can call it that, here in the last five games, the defense has been playing really well. And, you know, some seniors on that side of the ball, Daniel Batuli, Daryl Taylor, Nigel Warrior, like they're playing uh, some of the best ball of, of their lives. And, and I think that's really sparked the turnaround. And then another guy that's really been important here is junior quarterback Jarrett Garantano. I mean, big things were expected from him this season, and then he just came out early in the year and laid an egg and and lost his starting job and actually has been playing really well off the bench. Like, he hasn't started since September, but he's come off the bench six games in a row, and, I mean, he, he sparked that comeback victory over Kentucky. He played well and went over South Carolina, so he's really been important in kind of this relief pitcher role. And I think we might see him reclaim the starting job on Saturday. There you go. You uh, answered my, my next question as to, you know, Jeremy Pruitt said a quarterback will play, but he did not mention which one will start. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just kind of break down, I guess, for, for people who haven't followed really closely, what who, who what are the other quarterbacks who have kind of played this season and what each kind of brings to the table uh, in addition to Garantano? It's really been kind of a fascinating story. Like, so you got Garantano, who has, 22 career starts, had 18 in a row, loses his starting job. And, like, I think at that point there was, like, at least some thought that is this guy just going to leave the team? Because, I mean, that happens, right? You know, guys lose their starting job. It's like, well, forget this. I'm I'm heading into the transfer portal and see you guys next year when I'm somewhere else. But uh, he stuck it out. And so he gave way to true freshman Brian Maurer. Maurer started a few games. He had some concussions that he suffered in back-to-back games, and so he gets sidelined while he's recovering from his concussions. Uh, Redshirt freshman J.T. Shrout then steps in and makes a start. Somewhere along the way, Juwan Jennings actually started a game, the wide receiver. He started the game in a wildcat formation. So they've had four different guys this year take the first snap as the quarterback when you include Jennings and the wildcat. And and, and Garantano has played in all 10 games, but only as the starter four times. 
And so it's, it's really been kind of fascinating. And, and I got to give Garantano credit because, you know, not many veteran guys who'd started 22 games, 18 in a row, would probably handle this relief pitcher role, if you want to call it that, as well as he has. I mean, by all accounts, he's been supportive of the freshman. Uh, he's had himself ready to go off the bench every time, every week they've needed him. And uh, so I think, you know, he, he deserves some credit for how well he's handled it and how well he's played in, in that role. All right, so it, it, really every Missouri game is the same now. We just talk about whether the offense can manage to, like, look at all functional and maybe score, you know, eight points and give themselves a chance to win a game. You said Tennessee's defense has been playing well. That's not necessarily a good thing the way Missouri's offense has been playing. So what do they do well on, on that side of the ball? And going into this matchup, I mean, you know, how do they match up with, I guess, a Missouri de- offense that, frankly, can't move the ball against much of anybody? Yeah, Tennessee's been pretty good at forcing turnovers. Uh, they got 18 takeaways this year. I think that's like third in the SEC. They're pretty good at limiting big plays. Uh, for the most part, you're, you're going to have to, you know, put together some prolonged drives against them. Coming into the season, the real weakness on defense was the defensive line. They they lost all their starters from last season, and really a bunch of unknowns up front. That unit has gotten better as the season goes along, but I still feel like if there's a, a group that's maybe susceptible on this defense, it's probably the defensive front. So I wonder, you know, if, ten, if if Missouri can get some ground game going, maybe that's a, a path to success. And and Tennessee's also struggled at times this year against a running quarterback. And I know Kelly Bryant is, is not running anywhere close to them as much uh, as he was at Clemson, has had some injuries. But, you know, maybe he's healthier this week than he has been, and, and maybe he can run a little bit. I, I see that as something that could possibly give Tennessee some trouble as well. Yeah, if if Missouri is able to get the ground game and Kelly Bryant going on the on the in the running game this week, it'll be the first time in a while. Uh, yeah, that'll but, be breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> um, but back, so I wanted to switch back over to the other side of the ball. I know you mentioned Juwan Jennings, and Tennessee has some playmakers at their skill positions. Jennings is, I think, fifth or sixth in the SEC in uh, in catches this season. Marquez Callaway is a deep threat who caught a couple balls against Mizzou last year. They've got a couple running backs in the regular rotation. What's kind of the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of, of this Tennessee offense, and what are they going to look to do against uh, against Missouri? Yeah, I think that wide receiver group is is the biggest strength of, of any position on this team, either side of the ball. You mentioned Jennings. He's had a great senior season. He's that possession receiver, the guy that loves to go over the middle, physical guy. Uh, I mean, he just wants to get the ball in his hands so he can go find someone to hit. Uh, you know, I think he, he actually talks about how, you know, maybe he would have been a great safety in college, and I think that's probably true uh, because, I mean, truly it's like just, just get him the ball so he can go hit somebody. And uh, he, he's been a team leader as well. I think, you know, this, this group really rallies around the way he plays. And then Callaway is, as you mentioned, the deep threat. He, he doesn't – he's got good but not great speed, and he, he's just kind of an okay route runner. But when it comes to 50-50 balls, he's probably as good as anybody in the SEC in that one particular category of, of catching 50-50 balls. He got three 50-50 balls thrown his way in the Kentucky game a couple weeks ago, and he, and he caught all three of them and went for over 100 yards in that game. So uh, he's definitely the guy that, that Tennessee quarterbacks will look to when, when they're looking to fire one deep. And then the running backs, Ty Chandler, they play a few guys, but to me, Ty Chandler is the one that's a, a cut above. He, he's got some home run potential, but really, 
you know, for a guy that's only 205, he runs pretty well between the tackles. Uh, he's, he's got some power behind him. He's not just a wiggle guy. Uh, so, you know, I think at the skill positions, Tennessee's pretty good. Where their where their question marks are is in, are on the offensive line and and on the other side of the ball, the, the def- defensive line. All right. So I don't know which Tennessee team is closer to the actual Tennessee team, but it's interesting. The, the season you've covered to me is it's so similar to the last couple of Missouri seasons we covered where, I mean, you have a, a what are you doing loss early? That was Georgia State. Then you got the BYU game that obviously Tennessee should have won, but they didn't. You know, Tennessee, uh, then, then you get worked by Florida and Georgia, which is to be expected. Then you run off a bunch of games late, but when you really look at it, I mean, Mississippi State's not any good. Uh, South Carolina's not very good. UAB's UAB. Kentucky is down. So they've won four out of five. I don't mean to take any credit away. They haven't beaten a good team. I mean, do you have a feel for if Tennessee's more the, the team that's won four out of five or, or more the team that looked like it had no idea what it was doing early on? Well, it's starting to feel like this is becoming a group that's starting to beat the teams it's supposed to beat. I mean, you look at the first two weeks of the season, I don't know what that was. I mean, the first week of the season, the coaching staff treated it like a spring game. Like, they were running guys in and out. They, they played, I think, 11 different offensive linemen in that game. Uh, and so, to me, the first loss of the season goes entirely on the coaching staff. It was, it was terrible coaching. Uh, they treated it as an exhibition, and, and they got burned by it. And then week two against BYU, I kind of always felt like that was a toss-up game. BYU can be kind of tricky. Uh, Tennessee led most of the way and then fell apart in the closing minutes. And so really just a curious start to the season. And then after that, I feel like it's kind of gone how we thought it would go. Like they beat the teams that you think they could beat, and then they get blown out by the Georgias and Alabamas of the world. And, and, and in one way, I think that's why I guess I feel like this team is better positioned for success this year as compared to last year. You know, last season, Tennessee had the highs of beating Auburn and Kentucky when those teams were ranked. Uh, but then they, they didn't beat the teams that they, you know, were maybe a little more equally matched up with the South Carolinas, the Missouris, the Vanderbilts, they lost to all those teams. Whereas this year, you know, they don't have any wins over any top 25 opponents, but the SEC teams that they, uh, on paper have a, a real shot to beat they have beat and, and so and I feel like that team's maybe one you can trust a little bit more I, I still feel like Saturday's kind of a toss-up because you know I think these guys, teams are I mean they're they're trending in the opposite directions but talent wise they're probably pretty evenly matched uh, but I, I can't imagine Tennessee losing back-to-back games to closing the year this year because Vanderbilt is dreadful Although don't, don't tell anybody in Columbia <laughs> that like, proved Vander, otherwise. <laughs> Vanderbilt is the best two and eight team in the history of football. <laughs> Blake, the last time uh, we talked to you, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt had made his ill-fated Titanic reference. And uh, there was generally a lot of, uh, at least a, a, a vocal portion of the, the Tennessee fan base that wasn't very happy with him, you know, barring disaster and losing out, like you mentioned, losing these last two games, where do you think he, he stands with the fan base and where does this just position him moving forward? He has recovered nicely. And, and really, you know, when Pruitt was, when the Vols were one and four this year in Pruitt's second season, he actually enjoyed as much support as a second-year coach who's one and four can reasonably expect. I mean, there were certainly a lot of frustrated fans. There were certainly a lot of fans in the firing crowd. But 
from the administration, from relevant donors. He enjoyed pretty strong support at that point. And I think there was just the, the hope and the belief that this isn't really reality here, that the things are going to change. And no, no one really wanted to acknowledge the possibility that they might have to uh, start over. And, and so I, I think he was enjoying a, as long of leash as he could have expected. It also helps that Philip Fulmer is the AD that hired Pruitt. Philip Fulmer does not ever want to look bad. He doesn't ever want to, you know, admit that he might have made a mistake on something. And so I never believed the, the, the coup of that Fulmer wanted to take over as coach. I, I never really bought into that. Uh, what I did feel was that you know, Fulmer did not want to have to fire Pruitt because that's admitting failure on his part that he hired the wrong guy. And so I thought that actually worked to Pruitt's favor and that, you know, he probably enjoys a little bit of a leash there because Fulmer wants to come out looking good on this and, and say that he hired the right guy. So, uh, but he had to start winning games. You know, I mean, if this thing kept going south and, and the Vols went like three and nine, which it, at one and four looked possible. Uh, then Jeremy Pruton wouldn't have been around in 2020. But uh, I think there was the belief that he could salvage the season at least a little bit, and, and he has done that. Well, I mean, good for Jeremy Pruitt, good for Phil Fulmer, good for you, bad for the rest of us who just wanted another Tennessee coaching search because the last one was so entertaining. It was <laughs> It you know, I was thinking that at one and four, I'm like, surely not another coaching after the 2017 <laughs> one and all that that entailed. I'm like, I, I really don't want another one here two years later. Yeah, I mean, the rest of us have missed out. I, I look at this game and I mean, this sounds weird, but one thing that I on paper to me works in Missouri's favor is Tennessee's almost assured of a bowl game. They're going to win next week. They're going to be six and six. They probably look at Missouri and go, wow, this team's terrible. Maybe you think they, they come in here and take it a little lightly, but I would assume 50-17 to 17 the last two years probably prevents that. Is there a, a sense of Tennessee thinking this is really the team that we owe and, and need to kind of leapfrog back in the SEC East? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that the, the veterans on this team especially, the guys that were around not only for one 50-17 drubbing, but for two, I, I think they, they certainly remember that, you know, and – I feel like there's a sense among those veterans of that, you know, Missouri hasn't really gotten anything close to Tennessee's best shot, or maybe that they haven't really seen what they feel like is the real Tennessee. Now I would argue that, you know, in 2017 and 18, maybe that was the real Tennessee, but I think the guys on the team, the veterans on the team feel like that wasn't. And so I do think that's, that's serving as some motivation this year. And then just on top of that, beyond just the kind of atoning for those 50 to 17 losses is I think it, it kind of is a motivator. The fact that not only did Tennessee lose to Missouri last year, they lost to Vanderbilt. Just the, they were in this same position last year. They were five and five through 10 games. You know, there was kind of the assumption last year that, well, Tennessee will at least win one of those two and they'll probably get to a bowl this year. Same same type of storyline. I mean, Vanderbilt's and, and Missouri are worse this year, so I think it even sets up even better for, for Tennessee to think they can make a bowl. But I, I do think that's serving as a motivator to finish this season differently uh, than the way things went down last year. All right, Blake, just to finish up our discussion of this game with this, uh, if there's one or two things that, that have to kind of happen in this game for Tennessee what to win, what would those be? Well, I think they need competent quarterback play. It doesn't have to be great, but it has to be competent. You know, early in the season when the balls were so bad, they weren't getting that. Here lately, uh, you know, no one on this roster is challenging to be the all-SEC quarterback selection, but it's been serviceable. They've, they've kind of 
patched it together with their two quarterback rotation and and they've gotten some serviceable quarterback play. I, I think that's got to come in the that's it's more likely to come in the form of Garantano. He needs to play like he's been playing recently. And then uh, you know defensively, I would say keep limiting the the big plays. Tennessee's pretty good in that area of, of not letting you know a handful of big plays beat them. It cost them in the BYU game, but beyond that, they've been solid in, in preventing offenses from you know just scoring with one big play. They make teams march down the field, and so you know if they can do those couple things, I I, I think they got a pretty good shot on Saturday. All right, well, Blake, if not the football game, we're at least looking forward to catching up with you this weekend. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk absolutely, to you tomorrow. Absolutely. Friday may be more fun for us than Saturday. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good one. <laughs> okay, sounds Thanks, good. Thanks, Blake. Blake Topmeyer, Knoxville News Sentinel. Of course, he covered Missouri for a couple seasons for the Columbia Tribune, so he's as familiar with this program as, as probably anybody that, that covers another SEC East team. I don't know, man. You got anything else to say about this game? Because I don't. I don't know. He, I'd like to. He said Tennessee's looking for just competent quarterback play. Aren't we all? Both sides. Everyone just wants to see competence. I, I think Missouri fans would settle for competent position on the offense. It doesn't yeah. matter which one it is. Just one position. Give us competence. Yep, that's what we. That's that's what we're looking for. Competence. Speaking of competent offense, uh, you did not see any of that at Mizzou Arena last night. I saw that from about one player. His yeah. name was Mark Smith. Uh, other than that, that was not the most beautiful basketball I've ever seen, but I feel like we're coming away from a lot of Mizzou games saying that this year, and it's going to continue to be the case. Yeah, I, this is this is Conzo Martin basketball. Like, it's, it's fun to watch, I guess, if you win. It's not the most beautiful thing, but as long as it's effective, there are no style points. Right. No, yeah, a couple things on that. One— I understand why Conzo really liked this team coming into the season because it is his. They have bought. Oh, in, yeah. They have bought in. I mean, last night they all talked about how awesome it was to out rebound Morehead State. Like you're supposed to out rebound Morehead State, but right. good for you. I, I get that the coaches stress that, and they they are just suffocating teams on the defensive end. The other thing, and and we we texted about this briefly during the game last night. I this has given me a new impre- imp- impression for how bad the Kim Anderson era was because people are still so excited and happy about this Mizzou team Mm -hmm. and I get it you want them to win but I cannot watch this team and get excited like I get that I'm different than I'm not watching as a fan but like it is hard to watch it is I I think like basketball purists will like this team because this is this is similar to some Norm Stewart teams where it's like we're going to beat you 60 to 56 and we're going to beat your brains in now Norm's best teams actually were really athletic and got up and down the floor and scored a lot. But it is, it, it's almost a mindset that you have to adjust yourself and say, this is the style of basketball I want to embrace because it's not, it, it's not going and watching a team that can score 85 on one night. Now, that said, the offense is going to get better. They're not going to shoot 26% yeah. from three-point range all year, right? I, they have to get better, um, or they're not going to win a lot of games. I mean, I, I do think they'll get better. They have they brought back a lot of guys who can shoot the ball. I mean, you know, Mark Smith, Drew Smith, Pinson, Torrance Watson. I mean, Watson's a better shooter than 15%. Right. Those guys I just mentioned, I think, all shot at least 37% last season. So, yeah, they have to get better. They probably, at this point, I, I would doubt they'll end up being as good of a three-point shooting team percentage-wise as last season. I don't. Part of that might be the the three point line, um, but yeah, I mean they're they're definitely right. But right now, you know, it's basically their their plan is to get the ball inside to Tillman. So Moorhead State double Tillman every time, and 
the refs were really letting him play last night. I'll say that. I mean, Tillman was fighting through a lot of contact. Flip side, he got away with some stuff on the other end, I thought. But then, you know, when an opponent's doing that, Tillman's, I mean, it's not like a ton of people are cutting to the basket. He's kicking out to three-point shooters. Right. If Missouri's not knocking down those and, shots, they're, they could be in trouble. And one thing I noticed in the, in the Wofford game, he has become a much better passer. Oh, yeah, suppose. yeah. He's finding guys. Mm-hmm. He, he could end this season averaging two to three assists a game if guys can make shots. Yeah. But no, the shots he, have to He had in. at least two that I can think of off the top of my head. Nice kickouts last night. One of them went for a Mark Smith make. One of them went for a Torrance Watson miss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's – he I, I Tillman didn't have his best game last night. He was due to regress a little bit from a field goal position standpoint. He's playing really well when yeah. he's on the floor right now. I said this after the Wofford game. If if there was a possession on which somebody takes a shot before Jeremiah Tillman touches the ball, I would bench that guy. Yeah, like, unless it's like a run out or something. Yeah. Right. He should touch the ball on every offensive possession for which he is on the floor. Now, the flip side of this is they are playing not good defense. They are playing elite-level defense. Now, some of that in the Wofford game was – Wofford threw a pass to the bench. They missed a couple layups. Like, But that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, if you hold a team without a, a field goal for 14 minutes, you've done something really well on defense. Nobody has scored more than 56 on them in regulation or more than 63 in a game. So I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on this. That gives you a chance to win every single game. Mm-hmm. If you're holding teams under 60 points, you're never getting blown out. But – as the schedule gets tougher, that's going to regress a little bit. Now, they may be one of the best defensive teams in the country, but it's not going to be 54 points a game. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you on right now, and, and I think it's part of it's just, you know, we, we have kind of a small sample size. But I, I could go kind of two way, one of two ways with this. Like, one, I think it's, it's really good to have a team that buys into this identity, and I think that defense, like you said, it's going to keep you in every game you play. And it's, I mean, it's, it gets something that can take a team really far. It's not something that slumps like, uh, right. you know, like offense. At the same time, though, because Missouri wants to slow the pace down and isn't an offensive juggernaut itself, you're putting increased pressure on yourself to execute in the half court. You're keeping other in, teams. In a lo- right. And, and a lot of these games are going to be close. And the half court execution at times has been a little shoddy. And, and that's not just this and, season. Right. And what Missouri hasn't faced yet this year really is a team with a guy that can just go get a basket. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of SEC teams have that. I mean, obviously, Kentucky's going to have that. Mm-hmm. LSU is going to have that. Auburn is going to have that. There are going to be... A lot of teams on the schedule, I think Butler has that. Mm-hmm. With with a guy that can just go, okay, they're killing us on defense. I'm going one-on-one or one-on-two, and, and I'm going to go try to get a basket. So I, I guess what this comes down to, have you seen anything in five games that causes you to adjust your expectation for this team up or down? No, not really. Um, I, I, I've – I think this might be somewhat unpopular. I, I've been really impressed with Tillman when he's on the floor. I think I think he's actually really improved. He just got to, has to stay on the floor, and that bodes well. Um, and obviously, the shooting has been worse than I expected. But I think you know those things will continue to level out. I, I still think this is a bubble team that's you know anywhere from like eighteen to twenty-one wins. That, that's what I think. That's the neighborhood, seventeen to twenty, somewhere in there. Um, I, I agree on Tillman. The most interesting guy that we were talking about before the podcast. Drew Smith is the guy I think the basketball nerds are going to love and say, look, he's got like seven of everything. Mm-hmm. But the casual fan is going to look and go, wait, I I thought he was our best player. Why is he averaging 8.2 points a game? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he he 
is sometimes unselfish, almost to a fault. Last night he passed up a couple wide open looks, uh, but it, he, in his, to his credit, got other players good looks. Um, but he, I, I think you know what he showed in the Xavier game is what yeah, he, he can maybe take bring that over a little right. bit. He shot like what sixteen shots in that game, so that's what he can bring if the team needs it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you know in this early season. Just like Conzo's kind of experimenting with lineups, if he has told guys, you know, to to be a little more pass first and just, you know, kind of see what uh, what they can do in that regard. All right. So, like I said, we're not doing a podcast next week. So before then, Missouri basketball will play Butler, and I think most people probably think Oklahoma, but you never know. I mean, if you lose to Butler, you might be playing Stanford, or if Stanford pulls an upset, you could be. But whatever, they'll play Butler Monday night in either Stanford or Oklahoma Tuesday. My expectation for that hasn't changed. If this is a tournament team playing two hours from home, I think Missouri needs to win both those games. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say it makes or breaks the season no. if you don't. But, you know, I mean, you know, you let one opportunity uh, in the non-conference against a tournament team on the road slip. You, you don't want to do that again. I mean, you get another shot at a team in Butler who I probably is even better than Xavier, uh, top 25 top 20 type team neutral site um but you you will have a bit of an advantage there like you, you know that's one of those games that can really go a long way on a resume and you don't want to just keep letting those opportunities slip away right like college basketball rewards you for playing teams like that but you do have to win some of them <laughs> yes. you know you can't go one and nine well you can go one and nine but you have yeah. to win everything else yeah. you know so it, it, yeah you have to capitalize on some of those chances obviously also then before we do another podcast like we're not going to break down the game or anything but Missouri's going to play Arkansas at that point they'll either be 6 and 5 or they will be fighting to have a non-losing regular season against I mean one of the worst SEC teams I've ever seen but the flip side of that is and somebody brought this up and they're right like I think they lost to maybe the worst SEC team I've ever seen. So if you can lose to Vandy, you can lose that game. Yeah, you can. I, Arkansas is dreadful. I mean, they're just dreadful. But you never know that you know they fired their coach. Who knows? They maybe they come out and play harder. Interim coach. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know who is this it? game. There's so many unknowns with this game. I mean, it's it's Black Friday. Who knows how much either side's going to care? Gonna be there's going to be there's going there. to be friends and family only, and some of those might stay away. I wouldn't I wouldn't blame you. Uh, and They're then, like really good friends, right? right. Kind of like acquaintances. They're not going. To <laughs> yeah, no chance. It's not on Arkansas's campus, so there's no students. So, and then also, I mean, I I think at this point there's almost no way Missouri will have heard its appeal fate before that game. So, like, unless they've been told like this morning, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there's some there's quite a few unknowns. Um, but at the end of the day. Missouri should need this game way more than Arkansas needs it and is certainly more talented than Arkansas, which has been a train wreck all year. Like, there's no way you can lose this game. I'm not saying there's no way it could happen. I'm saying there's no way Missouri can let it happen. Right, I agree. So uh, let's wrap this up, the last five minutes or so. Uh, The next time we do this podcast, we're going to know whether Barry Odom is the football coach Mm -hmm. in 2020 because it's two weeks away, if Missouri makes a move, they're going to make a move shortly after the Arkansas game. This isn't going to linger, and they're going to fire him on December 10th. Um, I mean, I still would, as of today, say I expect him to be the coach because I don't expect them to lose the last two games. But if they lose the last two, especially if they lose that Arkansas game, then all bets are off. Yeah, if you lose the last two games and you finish the season having lost six in a row, I just, I don't really, I think that kind of forces Sterk's hand. I, I would guess, you know, I, I'm, this is a guess, but I'm guessing he 
does not want to make a change because uh, I think that most athletic directors don't and Missouri's not in the really financial situation to, to want to do that. But you're, I mean, if you lose six games in a row, including losing Arkansas going into the and next Vanderbilt. season and like you, you can't, you can't expect anyone to get excited about your program and show up to your games next season. Yeah. So uh, again, we're not expect. I, I mean, I could see him at five and seven if they, it also does depend on how you play a little bit. I mm-hmm. mean, five and seven is terrible, but do we see a team that lost because they quit, or do we see a team that just lost because like something happened to the, everybody on offense and yeah. and there just aren't really answers there? There is a little bit of a difference. I don't think five and seven is an automatic pink slip, but I think it's it, that's certainly where we're talking about whether it happens or not. Six and six. I understand the argument that he should be fired, but I don't think he would be. Yeah, uh, yeah. To, like you said, to you know, clarify, we're not when we're saying we don't think it's going to happen. I don't think either of us is going to bat for Barry Odom and saying right. that if you think he's going to be needs to be like, fired, you're an idiot. I can understand the argument I mean, very well. You win these last two games. This is still a bad season, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But just looking at the big picture and looking at Missouri's financial situations and and guessing, you know, based on our impression of Jim Sterk, I don't think it's something he's really interested in, especially if Missouri is potentially going to lose eight to 10 million, 10, eight to $10 million with this appeal. And we'll just kind of wrap it up with the only way you make a move. And I mean, the only way, you know, you have a guy that not only are you convinced is better, but that you can sell to the fan base mm-hmm. is better. Mm-hmm. I, like you don't, Eli Drinkwitz isn't selling season tickets. Like I think <laughs> but he's, he's actually, got a great name. No, I think he's actually a pretty good coach. Uh, you know, Billy Napier from Louisiana had a great season. He's not selling season tickets. So the only way you do this is if you can get a guy. This this came up in 2015 quite a bit. You know, a bunch of people wanted Tom Herman, and I went into that saying, yeah, if you can hire Tom Herman, you hire him. But if you're talking about, hey, do we hire? Mike Norvell or, you know, somebody like that or Barry Odom, we'll just hire the guy that knows Missouri Mm -hmm. because that guy, that other guy isn't clearly to me better than Barry Odom. So you've got to have a guy and it shouldn't be a long search. It shouldn't be. We think like you've got to have assurance. A guy like that's taking this job. I just went down a small mental rabbit hole about all the Columbia bars battling to get uh, like endorsements from Eli Drinkwitz, Eli Dr- like oh. the, the Drinkwitz specials and all Too that. Too bad he wasn't a college player during the name and likeness era. Exactly. Yeah. He could have he could have cashed in. <laughs> all right. So, uh, again, we're off next week, off the podcast next week. Obviously, we will be covering basketball, covering football, all that uh, during Thanksgiving week. I hope you all have a, a good one. Thanks for listening. And two weeks from now, we will be back with – Hopefully some answers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From, there's from a lot. the NCAA, from the coaching front. Like, there, there's a lot to digest, hopefully. A lot will have happened on several fronts. So, uh, yeah, have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy the game this weekend. And we'll be back in two weeks on the podcast.